In this segment, we'll experiment with the boundaries of storytelling, featuring some of our friends, mentors, and advisors. We'll share perspectives and reframe the narratives that fall on a spectrum. We'll have unfiltered conversations around life, business, and everything in between. Between the vantage point of a deep thinker and an atomic player. Between an objective mind and a subjective heart. Between the truth teller and the truth seeker. Between two sides of the coin. Hello, everyone. We have the CEO of MicroAcquire, Andrew Gazdeki, with us in our second season of Sassetop podcast. MicroAcquire is a startup acquisition marketplace that helps entrepreneurs find acquirers. He was a former CEO of Business Apps and Allcoin.io. He was an EIR at 500 startups, and he occasionally writes for Entrepreneur and Forbes. In Forbes, I think he is an official member as well. So, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And um, I'm going to give Ricky a shout out for his awesome background on air. No, great to hear, be here and um, appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Andrew. And thanks for uh, pronouncing my last name correctly. Well done. So, Andrew, I think um, yeah, MicroAcquire has been there in the news for good for a good one and a half year, I think. You know, Bechamer invested almost like 2.8 mil as seed round in your company. And uh, the startup is currently connecting a lot of startup buyers and sellers. So tell me a little bit about uh, the current uh, stance that you are with your company, with a lot of JVs happening, with companies like Pipe, and uh, especially your launch of bootstrappers.com. I mean, that's uh, that. there's a media madness around that as well. So where to start? I mean... The evolution of the company, it's been a lot of fun. That's that's probably the main theme I'd probably go with is a lot of people don't know this, but uh, fast or back, not fast, we're backtrack to say January. I was running the whole company, the entire thing. It was almost like not healthy, like the newsletter, the social media posts, uh, customer support, product management. Uh, I was working with an agency at the time. And uh, fast forward to today, uh, you know, hired a full team. So now we have, um, I hired a lot of um, people that were with me at Business App. So my VP of product, my VP of engineering, my COO, my creative director, um, my current head of marketing. We're looking to find a new one. And I say that on air because he's like my best friend, um, but he started an agency that's doing really well. It's called Brand Arrow. So if anyone needs help with uh, Facebook ads, um, definitely check him out. But um, uh, currently he's helping me with marketing. But my dream for everyone I work with is to quit one day and say, hey, I'm starting a company. So I'm pushing him that way. But yeah, things are things are going great. And um, you know, our goal is simple is we just want to help um, entrepreneurs succeed and uh, help uh, businesses get acquired. So you know, to really simplify what our goal is at, at MicroQuire is we want to build the most founder-friendly marketplace in the world. So we're building this for entrepreneurs and startups because we're not trained how to sell a business. Um, we're trained how to raise funding. We're trained how to, you know, there's books on marketing, every, everything but how to exit your business. And, um, you know, I think that's a huge gap considering how important the exit is in the founder's journey. So so yeah, I hope I hope that's kind of a rant, uh, but I hope that's uh, helpful. Absolutely. And uh, about the bootstrappers.com as well, I think uh, what's happening on that side, are you covering amazing stories from uh, bootstrap startup founders, et cetera? We are. Yeah. So MicroQuire, it's, I, I talk a lot about, um, you know, we try to, we try to think like a media company at MicroQuire and we quite literally 
built a media company. And the the way I kind of view marketing and just building startups today is, you know, you can launch a company and, you know, you'll immediately have probably three, four, five, six direct competitors Like you all kind of do the same thing. But the reality of startups today is there's so many. Uh, if you don't believe me, uh, Google, uh, have you seen the MarTech 50,000 or whatever it is? It started off as like 5,000. It's just this image and it shows how many startups. So I always say, um, you know, startups today are really in a competition for attention. And there's there's two ways to get attention. One, you can buy it. You know, that would be cold emailing people, ads, uh, you know, stuff that generally people don't want, or you can earn it. And so Bootstrappers is our way of earning entrepreneurs' attention and, and frankly, just bringing light to amazing businesses that, uh, you know, some of the other tech publications um, don't write about. So when everyone's going right, we're going left. You know, we think, you know, there's, there's so much talk about raising venture capital and becoming a unicorn. And, you know, that's, that's how you make it as a founder. Like, you know, that's, that's what makes you like successful. And my view is no, uh, here's another alternative path. That's probably more realistic for 99% of entrepreneurs and no one, again, no one talks about it. And so, you know, we've been writing these really uh, just inspiring stories of entrepreneurs just kind of overcoming odds and, you know, just building businesses their own ways, not kind of following the typical, like, got to get into Y Combinator so I can meet some, so I can maybe get like a small mention in some press article or, you know, raise a bunch of venture capital so I can, you know, have this huge team and then I'm successful. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, you're, you're successful as an entrepreneur. Success can be defined however, you know, it is to you. Um, but I, I have so much respect for entrepreneurs that are just doing things their own way. And so, um, yeah, bootstrappers, you know, we just saw a huge hole in um, media in terms of people want to read about like realistic stories. You know, when I read a story that says, I just raised $500 million, I'm like, cool. <laughs> like that doesn't do anything for me. I don't care. Uh, and we write these stories that, and I say stories, not news. So we're not a publication that kind of just, just news all day long. It's, um, you know, a little bit longer form, you know, we start off with, you know, interviews, um, pretty in depth, uh, to really get to the root of like, how'd you start this company? What's your background? What'd you overcome? What were your challenges? Where do you think this is going? What's your goals? Who are you? you know, really, you know, trying to tell a story when you read it, you're like, wow, like that person overcame so many obstacles. I can do it too. And that's, that's kind of like the, the theme. Um, and it was funny. I had a meeting with our, so bootstrappers, we have four writers, uh, individual named Chris Roper, um, a head of content leads, um, everything. And he's literally could manage a, a like a, a way bigger publication and over time we'll probably grow bootstrappers but i was kind of joking with them i said like i i read all the articles They're like so in a way i kind of put together um the publication i wanted um and that's that's kind of the state of it today so uh in, in summary um another rant so sorry <laughs> you know we cover bootstrap startups uh we look to cover uh inspiring stories where people have you know, overcame the odds um, and and made it work. So it's kind of the simple pitch. That is awesome. I, I think the story is interesting and especially your Twitter, few of the threads and, and the virality question that is attached with the cameo 
uh, snippets as well. Those are amazing. I think uh, somehow you are Trace Commas yeah, and Trace Trace Commas. Yeah, <laughs> those um, Russ Hannon videos crack me up every time. And um, uh, and you so you like to build stuff, mostly companies, and you try to tell a story that goes beyond what the company does and how it's changing the markets. I'm just thinking, why should an entrepreneur or a SaaS founder uh, try to um, start a business in a micro SaaS, uh, you know, ecosystem and try to sell it on micro, micro acquire and not go on an alternative path, maybe working for a FANG uh, company or maybe, you know, uh, sticking on for raising venture capital at a later point in time as well. So the question is, why should someone build a SaaS company and sell it on micro acquire rather than getting a job? Well, I mean, all not everyone should be an entrepreneur. I'll start with that. Um, it's freaking hard. Like the, the, the way there's certain qualities you just kind of have to have, and this could probably lead down a different debate, but I'm not really sure you can learn entrepreneurship. It's either in you or it's not like if you go to a fang company and you feel like you're suffocating every day, you're probably an entrepreneur, but some people can deal with it and they kind of justify it. Like, Oh, well, you know, if I work here for 10 years, it's the same as starting a startup and selling it. Like if that's your mindset, go to Fang. But if you just cannot stand working for someone else and you just can like that concept in your mind literally gives you a headache and you like to build and you like to create and you like freedom and just doing things your own way and rewriting rules of industries, you should start a company. And whether you raise money or don't raise money, that's also your decision as well. And I think, you know, the message that, I, that I, I, I try to get across is just venture capital isn't the only path. And micro requires raise venture, venture capital. And the reason that I felt that was appropriate was just my personal ambition and the size of the market opportunity. Um, investment banking alone is $150 billion um, addressable market. And a lot of that's offline, manual you know, kind of old school golf course, steak dinner, that, that sort of stuff. Uh, and I just saw an opportunity like, hey, let's digitize this and bring it online. And that's how a lot, and, and that by no means uh, guarantees success. I still have so much work ahead of me. Um, but I think like my first company, Business Apps, I bootstrapped that business, had a wonderful outcome. And this was in 2010. So this was a decade ago. I'm 30. Uh, oh, I'm 33. I was born on the same day as Mark McGuire, the baseball player and NASA. But um, what I'm trying to say is um, like, I don't hate venture capital, um, but sometimes I'll just say some polarizing like tweets because those get the most reaction and stuff like that. But yeah, venture capital is a tool. Like if you have a huge opportunity in front of you, like it's not a bad idea to consider it. I think where it gets really bad is where um, you kind of get into this fundraising cycle and you start trying to impress people um, with vanity metrics. Like, like, trust me, like MicroQuire gets hit up by VCs every single week. I have a template. Um, so any VCs reading this, if you've gotten the email that says, hey, thanks for reaching out, please follow up with me in three to four weeks and heads down on my business. That's a template that I just send to everyone. So we could raise more money. But why? We don't need it. Um, so I think that's where, you know, things get a little, and entrepreneurs don't understand what they're getting themselves into. Like I wrote a tweet about this yesterday, just as kind of a joke where, you know, you raise $50 million. Things are going really good. You're going really fast. Like, whoa, this is amazing. You're going to, you're totally going to go public. You know, yes, you're doing it. And then you raise a bigger round. 
you raised 250 and now you're valued at over a billion dollars. So you raised 300 million in total. You got to keep growing. Like you're not worth a billion when you raise at that valuation by no means. Investors are betting on uh, future execution to perfection. That's how your valuation is usually kind of come to. Um, I'm not a VC, so I'm not an expert on like how valuations work, but it's usually just like, we think if these things become true, you could be worth a billion dollars. And the chance is usually, you know, single digits. So let's say, you know, you raise all that money because it's super easy to raise capital right now. And now you have this moment where you read about liquidation preferences. So if you don't continue to grow at a pace where, you know, it's kind of clear that you're going to go public or you're going to be, you know, now it's like a decacorn. Like people want you to build like, like a $10 billion company. I remember the days when like, you know, hitting a hundred million valuation was like the goal. Like that was like, kind of like, could this be like a hundred million dollar company? Now it's like, can this be like a hundred billion dollar company, which is, which is insane. So it's kind of like asking like first time entrepreneurs to climb Mount Everest with no equipment training on the first try. <laughs> and you have like a 2% chance of succeeding. Uh, Mount Everest, you have like a 73% chance of succeeding. Someone's like, yeah, you actually have a better chance of um, uh, climbing. Maybe th this might be out of context, but um, you know, people do die climbing Mount Everest. I don't recommend it, but 73% make it up successfully. I don't know if that's a mixture of like people. I don't think it's people. Anyways, you get my point. Like, you know, we're asking to climb the highest mountain, but if you don't continue that growth and say you sell the business for 300 million, um, cause you get to like, let's say you get to 30 million in, in your growing revenue times it by 10 ballpark or something like that, you walk away with zero um, because you raised $300 million. That money immediately goes back to the investors. And so I think a lot of entrepreneurs are raising money right now. Like I got an investor update and the founder had 10 years of runway. I'm like, why? <laughs> like, like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I feel like most people just want to raise capital just for like the status of raising capital. And that's sad. And that will bring pain. And yeah, I completely agree. And I think what's happening right now in today's environment is it's so much easier to raise capital than it is to actually grow your revenue. And so a lot of founders focus on that. You have like raised from like, you can do like a reg CF, a crowdfund raise and get like, where barely any due diligence is done on any of those businesses. And like, you know, you have firms like Tiger Global just pumping in like a hundred million, again, quick due diligence. Like it's extremely easy to raise capital and not all those businesses are going to grow into those valuations and not all, all of them are going to be successful. So um, getting back to my main point is just letting entrepreneurs know, like just optimize for the outcome that you want. Cause I think a lot of entrepreneurs are going out and raising when they don't really know what they want. And so what I mean by that is like, do you really know what it's like to run 100, 200, 300 person company? Is that, is that what you really want to do? It's a lot of fucking stress. Like business has, we got up to like 100 employees and um, I got kind of burnt out at a company that size. Um, half was in-house, half was remote. And this was back in 2010, again, when we could hire sales reps for like 50K OTE. Um, I had a reference call with like a prior sales rep and uh, he's going in at like 350 OTE to his new company. So like, you know, you can't do that anymore. Bootstrapped, but man, it's just, it's a totally different job. You know, if you love building, 
you might you might find yourself in a role where you're just managing all day dealing with sick day requests and stuff like that like you know coaching your team um i find i find that really rewarding but i mean it's it's when you when you have a company of that size you know you may be building a job that you don't want so i guess getting back to my main point and ending the rant is um you know i think it's so important for entrepreneurs to optimize for the outcome that they want and for some it's to build a 100 trillion jeff bezos empire and that's badass like you know power more more power to you um, but I think a lot of entrepreneurs deep down would just be okay selling a business and making five, 10, $20 million because beyond that, like what else do you spend the money on? You can buy like a, like if you're, if you're able to buy a house cash, put some money in the stock market, don't look at it till you're 70, you're set for life. Maybe you could buy a cool car. I like cars. So that's what I would do. You're set. And then if you need like a hundred million, I'm always like, why? Like, do you need a private jet? Like what? Do you need a mega yacht? Those, I don't, I'm not saying I hate private jets and mega yachts. I think they're cool to look at, but um, my point is just, <laughs> you know, as an entrepreneur, if you bootstrap your chances of, you know, exiting all cash, no earnout, no stock from a um, strategic company, your buyer pool is so much bigger. Just case in point, it's just so much more realistic to shoot for, an outcome where you build a profitable SaaS business, get it to a couple million in revenue, sell it for 5 million cash, and then you're set. And then after that, swing for the fences. Then after that, you can afford to swing for that mega yacht or whatever if you want. And that's that's kind of what I'm doing. So Andrew, I think you are an entrepreneur yourself, right? So, so what really motivates you to solve these difficult problems or let's say, you know, the market gaps that you're able to see, for example, okay, you sold off your last two companies, you started micro acquired. So the, deep down, there would be a mental model or a framework as to, you know, okay, I want to do this, this, and this so that, you know, I can capture, a, let's say a bigger market or maybe solve a thousand problems because that would be inherently driving you to do more of those things as opposed to maybe the financial reward attached to it. Yeah, uh, it just, for me, um, I, you know, after I sold business apps, you know, I had a 90 day transition plan. It was an all cash transaction. So I didn't do like four years at Adobe or something dumb like that. Like, uh, so I was out of the business within 90 days. And it, it was actually, you know, very eye opening and helped me learn a lot about myself and what I really love. And that's working with amazing people, um, having an impact on people's lives, uh, having the ability to be creative, um, coming on cool podcasts like this and just hanging out with some, you know, fun people. So with MicroQuire, you know, I am swinging and thinking, you know, bigger than I have before in the past. Allcoin, we, we actually thought pretty big, but we didn't do too well in that one. Happy to tell you the story of that if you want, but it's just mentally stimulating. And I love startups it's like my sport. And so I love playing uh, the game. You've been doing it for the last more than 10 years, maybe. Yeah. Uh, since I was a kid, like I, I'm a born entrepreneur, like, like, you know, I was the weird kid uh, selling Pokemon cards when everyone was collecting them. I'm selling them. Um, uh, same with like yo-yos and like, I had like an eBay store, like at 14 and like, so it's, it's always just been something I enjoy. Um, and uh yeah, so I, I would say that's that's what motivates me. And then, you know, the financial reward, I mean, that's just 
icing on the cake. I think when I look back at business apps, you know, my favorite moments are like, you know, the, the best part about entrepreneurship is the amount of lives you can change. Like uh, two people met at business apps, got married, they have a kid. I don't want to take credit for that, but like, it's just crazy to think about. I started this company, these two people met and they got married and they now have a child and they're going to live happily ever after. Um, that would never happen if I didn't say, Hey, we should build a no code app builder. And then multiple employees, you know, I, I've been, I've been trying to expand the team mostly with prior employees from my prior companies, just cause I know them and I trust them. And, you know, you, I know exactly what I'm getting. And I go and I look at their resumes now and they're in like VP roles and tech roles, like just killing it. And I'm like, good for you, you know, because uh, we would, since we bootstrapped the business, we couldn't hire like, a, you know, 400K OTE VP of sales. So I was the VP of sales. I was the VP of marketing for the majority of the time. Um, we would hire entry level people straight out of college. So zero training, I mean, zero experience. And we would focus on just, uh, really turning like, you know, C players into B players and then into A players. Um, that's kind of how we how we viewed growing the business without a lot of capital. And that's just rewarding. Like we gave people like their first job in tech and now they're making, you know, way more uh, doing great. And then just our customers as well. I think the impact we had on the industry, we kind of came in and, you know, we did a lot of things right, but also a lot of things wrong as well. And what I mean by that is there's some competitors that I had. I think I think business apps could have been a much, much larger company, but I was young and you know, we didn't raise any capital. Raising capital may have accelerated that, maybe not. But you know, my point is is that's the stuff that, you know, I look back on and I smile and just all the fun times I had with my team and just being creative and solving complex problems in large markets. That gets me going. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, one of the things that I find most fascinating about MicroQuire, like MicroQuire is 16 months old, right? But like you guys came in so aggressively and integrating yourself with like existing players. Like what are some of the strategies you're using to build like great relationships with like Pipe, with Clearco and like filling up this void that's in the market in only like just for like 16 months too. Like that's pretty impressive. We have a partnership with, um, I don't know when you're publishing this, but um, Angel is coming out on Friday. So we're, um, and that'll allow essentially uh, people to raise capital from investors to acquire companies. So we're kind of covering financing as well as raising funds from investors, equity investors. I would just say I have a good sort of pulse on the startup ecosystem. And so I know which companies, you know, would be a great fit how it would be a great fit. And I think the key to making partnerships work is just making it really easy to partner. Like we had a partnership announcement with Mercury Bank um, on Monday and we, I just try to make it, so I lead all the partnerships. And so we do all of social media stuff. We just say, hey, can you get us landing page? Take care of the rest. And then after that, you know, we start integrating the product. Like Pipe is a good example where we have integrated Pipe where you can get pre-finance as a buyer or a seller within our marketplace. Same with Clearco. Do the same with AngelList once that's out. But, um, you know, I don't know how to answer that question. Uh, I think, I, you know, I attribute a lot of microquare success. Uh, you know, I think we're, we're riding a lot of market like tailwinds. People are just realizing that, you know, not only Google acquires companies and there's all these wonderful, you know, profitable bootstrap businesses and people are thinking, well, 
you know, if I start a company, it's going to take probably two years to get off the ground, or I can just buy one and accelerate that. And maybe I'm a revenue focused founder and I just want to run a 2 million year business. I agree with you. So like, what I found a company on microacquire, like I, I registered for a microacquire in July. I paid the subscription. I was like doing my due diligence. Uh, I found a company, they're doing like 1K in MRR. Their team was all technical. And like, I'm mainly like an SEO and marketing guy. So me and my business partner, we decided that we're going to acquire this company from microacquire. Our conversation initially, like, so like offline, like right away. So we started because of the due diligence process, it wasn't possible to do that much due diligence on microacquire. So like we had Zoom meetings with the founding team and such, and like, so I have a few questions along that process because you guys are still building building this product product for like doing due diligence and escrow and all this stuff. So essentially what I'm saying is like, when is like the full product going to be ready um, where you could do the entire transaction on microacquire and there won't be any offline deals happening? That's a great question. Uh, you know, it's going to take a while. I always tell my team, you know, patience is a mandatory requirement of startups. It just is, uh, you know, products like uh, using business apps as an example, we were always improving the product, always releasing new functionality. So I would say, I'm just going to say a year because some of these products are pretty complex, like escrow, but it also comes with compliance issues as well. When you start transferring funds, so we need to work through that. What we just released that I'm really excited about is um, we released an M&A advisor directory. Did that yesterday. And so now as a startup founder, you can hire a business broker, investment banker, attorney. Attorneys can also handle like escrow processes as well, as well as um, business brokers. So you can do it without technology. You can just hire someone right now. So if escrow.com isn't like the best um, service that you're looking for, you can actually hire someone to be your escrow agent. So that's that, that's like the big one that we just launched. And we onboarded 50 plus um, vetted professionals. We have an in-house um, business broker. We have an in-house uh, attorney. And so we really built this, like these are professionals who, you know, have sold hundreds of businesses. And we think that's going to help MicroQuire kind of move up market in terms of more complex startup acquisitions, larger startups being sold. Because when you start getting into the life-changing money area, like it makes sense having an advisor. Um, but, you know, when we bring everything online, um, you know, we're going to do it piece by piece. Like the next big iteration of microquare is around valuation because some founders have no idea what their startup is worth. And so, we, and we're sitting on all this data of, you know, different industries and we're compiling all that and putting that into kind of like a thing like a chart mogul, but with just graphs. And then at the top, it'll have um, your valuation and then you want to sell your business you can just click and we'll integrate that into microquire to give like a suggested valuation for both buyers and sellers to really kind of maybe kind of like zillow like i always reference microquire to zillow um zillow has zestimate um we might have micro requirement <laughs> i don't know but that's that's on the immediate roadmap but we haven't started anything on like due diligence we have some ideas like a checklist like taking what we see buyers doing kind of manually and just kind of bring it into the uh, business. But um, I would say Q1 of next year's uh, the next uh, quarter we're focused on really nailing the M&A advisor marketplace. So you have like ratings and reviews, and this is all kind of thought of, of 
you know, my experience selling business app. So for example, I could list business apps, find a investment bank, cause it was a larger transaction. So, you know, I'm running the business. I don't have time to talk to, you know, 10, 20 different people or whittle down uh, 50 requests into like the five most serious people. I want to hire someone to do that. Um, maybe we want to reach out to some strategic buyers as well. Maybe there's an investment banker who's worked with GoDaddy or J2 Global or Durance International or web.com, some of the companies that um, we were speaking to when we got um, acquired. And uh, yeah, so that's that was the big one that we solved uh, recently. So I know you're working on a smaller deal and um, you, know, you want that all online. So we'll get there. But um, really, our goal right now is we want to start moving up market. So we want to start moving away from the smaller businesses moving towards like the, uh, I always tell my team, you know, we'd have a, a much bigger impact if we're able to help startups kind of in the, the one to $20 million range. Cause you know, typical brokers will take, you know, 15% of that transaction and we can do it more efficiently at a lower cost. And then also provide access to arguably the largest database of software buyers in the world. Microacquire like mid mid to end game like I could see unicorns being sold on Microacquire. I'm not even joking. Like in five years, like I could see um a billion dollar companies just being bought out privately. I would debate you on, on that or challenge you to think of it this way. So the reason we focus on bootstrap companies is there most private equity firms are actually looking to buy bootstrap companies. I, I work with hundreds or, or if not thousands of private equity firms and they all across the board unanimously are looking for companies that are profitable without investors. And typically companies with investors with, you know, billion dollar companies, you know, have a crazy cap table. And so the, the problem is every constituent that you add to basically every, every additional person involved in approving a transaction makes a deal way more complex. So a VC backed company you know, the investors in that business are looking for outsized returns. So, you know, to get that deal done, you got to get it approved by the VC, the lead VC, and then uh, the firm's partners, you know, he's got to go and debate or she has to debate like, hey, we want to sell this thing on Microquire. We got some buyers. But if it's not in like the billion mark, you know, it might not like they have to be making like hundreds of millions in revenue. And then on top of that, you might have a second VC firm and a third VC firm. And then uh, the dagger to that is kind of like, you got some random angel investor in the back that's like, hey, like, let's use this boutique um, investment bank I used one time in 1999. <laughs> it, it, that's how it goes, seriously. And then with bootstrap companies, the process is founder says, that seems like a fair price. Let's sell the business. Much simpler. Um, and also those businesses are far more underrepresented. Like if you're doing a billion dollar deal, like, yeah, go hire a big investment bank, go to JP Morgan, like they'll take great care of you. You'll pay a huge fee, but you're going to walk away with a ton of money. So for us to get there, man, we would need to like, we got a lot of work to do. The, the largest transaction, I spoke to someone um, who came to my house because we threw like a, like a backyard founder get together. He's going to sell business for about 20 million on microquire, which would be a new record. But to get to a billion, like we're, I think we're maybe like two, three years away from that. But I agree with you. I mean, we, we, we want to get there and we're going to try to. But right now, the tools and kind of like the thought process that we have around the business is more around like, how can we get to 10 million and then 11 and then 12 
and then 15, you know, kind of stair step into it. But I think that's kind of the future of, of the business is, you know, if you have a bootstrap company, it's doing 5 million revenue, things worth, you know, 20, $30 million, um, possibly more. Those are the transactions that we want to build tooling around um, to make it really, really easy. That's awesome. And well, one thing that I'm dying to ask you, like, what, what's the beef with TechCrunch? This, this, there's so much beef with TechCrunch right now. Candidly, I mean, it was just good marketing. I don't know. I don't really have beef with anyone. Um, I don't. I don't take myself that seriously. I just sometimes write stuff and it makes me laugh and then I press send. Um, and then some people, some people get super triggered and I'm like, dude, like chill out. <laughs> like, do you know me? <laughs> like my team, like half the time, like, is like, are you being sarcastic? And 90% of the time I'm like, yep. <laughs> like, uh, but I, I mean, to really talk about TechCrunch. So business apps are, was featured in TechCrunch probably about a dozen times. I've actually written for TechCrunch three times. And then the new crew, you know, I kind of had like this, this rude experience dealing with two of the writers. I won't say their names, but it just got me thinking. I was like, damn, like if it's this hard to get through to these people, like, you know, we had confirmed stories. I had confirmed times of write-ups, ghosted three times, just stuff that just never happened in the past, you know, with some of the former writers. And so I just thought, you know, if it's this hard for me to get, you know, a write-up in here, it's got to be hard for like a lot of startups, like, holy crap. And then, you know, that's where I just really started just saying, like, you guys don't write about anything but fundraising rounds now. That's all you write about. Like, and the one that really pissed me off was we had uh, a confirmed write-up where I spent probably three to four hours um, compiling acquisition data for one of the writers. And we had a verbal that he would cover. Once you got a verbal before, you just basically would follow up until... You know, they had time. And uh, what happened was um, Asana and Palantir went public that week. And he's like, hey, I'm too busy. And so now I'm thinking like, oh, okay. So this is, you know, the public company BCPR agency now, you know. So that's where I was like, uh, TechCrunch sucks. I don't read it anymore. Uh, and I think they're just, I think they're a problem within the startup ecosystem. Again, going back to my last point where, they, none of these people know how to run startups. None of these people have been involved in startups. And yet they are the ones that basically, you know, they're a gatekeeper of success for a lot of startups. And, it, and I read a tweet the other day that made me cringe. It was like, after multiple attempts, we're so excited that we finally got featured in TechCrunch and we're celebrating like $150 million raise. I wanted to comment like, this is so fucking sad. Like, dude, like you're raising money just to get in like TechCrunch. And when you get in TechCrunch, again, I've been covered on there like a dozen times. And I, I had a short spin, uh, stint at a venture back company called Spiff, where I had uh, both of their financings covered um, by one of the writers. It's not that big. You get like a thousand clicks. You get like two customers. The biggest benefit is you get to put their logo on your website. Um, so I just, you know, I'm just thinking like if all you're writing about is funding rounds, like you're sending a message to all these young entrepreneurs that, you know, in order to succeed, you got to raise funding. And so that's where we have this like toxic environment where raising funding is the goal rather than building a sustainable business. And I think that's bullshit. And so I called them out uh, through <laughs> kind of made it fun for a little bit, uh, but it was just good marketing. I just, you know, I don't care what they write about. And I wasn't that upset that they didn't cover you know, micro require. It's not like 
the business is failing because we oh my gosh what are we gonna do now oh my gosh <laughs> you're not listed on TechCrunch. it's time to pack up your bags no i just i just felt disrespected and so i called him out you know and that's another thing that like you know i think entrepreneurs should stand for stuff more and like yeah speak your mind if someone like disrespects you like you know there's polite ways to say it and i think you know a lot of entrepreneurs are scared to call out like a vc or like say hey vcs like most of them suck most of them do suck um they gossip a lot you know they're correct one percent of the time if you're correct one percent of the time at any company i work at you're getting like let go like i don't know how 90 percent of these people have jobs uh, they've never built companies before. They just hand out advice like it's crazy. And th their biggest sort of like rebuttal is, but we see a lot, like we see everything. And it's like, you can watch a movie a thousand times, but if you haven't lived it, like you don't really know. Trust me, I've watched uh, the show Billions like a bunch of times. I don't know how to run a hedge fund though. So, you know, I it was just, it just started to become so obvious, like, you know, there's a need for a publication that covered everything TechCrunch doesn't. And then so during the launch, I was like, there's a really good uh, uh, book called Rework by Jason Fried, founder of Basecamp. And he has this like portion called like beef marketing. Um, so that, that's all it really was. Um, it was just kind of fun marketing that made me laugh. That was awesome. So I was just uh, looking into some of the SaaS companies listed in Micro uh, Acquired as well. And I'm curious that do you have any hot take on some of the trends in the SaaS ecosystem as well? For example, are you seeing or testing out some of the uh, SaaS companies which are listed in Micro Acquired and seeing that these are the, some of the companies that are getting acquired and this is how the trend is going towards a particular area as well? I think the, the big one would probably be just profitable SaaS. I know that's kind of like a blanket answer, but I think the biggest thing MicroQuire has opened my eyes to, and this is why, you know, some of my tweets kind of have people like turn their heads like, what? Um, I wake up every day and I see hundreds of wonderful businesses that are profitable. They've never raised any capital and they're going to sell for potentially millions of dollars. Like that is the route I think a lot of founders should go down. And I, and I see it every day. I live it every day. It's not my opinion. Like I have data around it and, you know, compare that to a founder who's stuck in a, a company for a decade because he needs to, you know, he raised 300 million. Now this individual needs to, to go public. I mean, so I guess the biggest thing that I've learned from micro is just how big the long tail of SaaS is. So you mentioned that, Ricky, you mentioned, you know, you're big, you know about long tail SEO. That's powerful shit. You know, I think the bootstrap market could be bigger than the venture market in terms of, you know, total addressable market. I think, I think the future of the SMB economy is going to be online, profitable, and digital. So people that were looking to start like a restaurant or something like that, I think those young entrepreneurs are going to start looking at like e-commerce companies or SaaS companies, um, maybe buying them off microquire. So that I think that's been the most interesting part is just you can build a company in a very competitive um, market and still build the company. It's like two, $3 million if you really focus on a specific niche and really you know cater to a very specific customer. You're not going to build a billion-dollar company doing that. Um, but let's say if you do get to $3 million and you sell for 10 and you get QSBS, um, which is uh, a tax exemption, if you hold qualified small business stock for more than five years and you don't raise venture capital, 
you can pay um, essentially zero taxes on on ten, up to the first ten million. So that that's basically like what I see, and I'm like, holy shit! Like, good for these entrepreneurs. Like, this is great. So I I'd say just the biggest trend is just how niche SaaS has uh, SaaS can get. But we're also starting to see a lot of e-commerce companies, crypto companies. I feel like SaaS and uh, AI are going to going to converge. Like the end game for artificial intelligence would be like a SaaS business model. Well, give me an example of that. Like, for example, like, you know how like Twilio? Twilio makes all their money off just like software pulls, right? Like kind of something like that. Like a revenue model that's just a, a, around just straight software. Like a, a actual like just ML, ML though. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity like in those areas, you know, like specifically data, you know, these companies have a lot of data and microquire is partly um, going to turn into like a data business. Like we have information on, like, we really know what your business is worth given all the acquisitions that we see. And we also know what types of businesses, and this is stuff that we're, we're we've been holding off on releasing it because um, number one, we want to collect a very large sample size before we start, you know, because you realize like, you know, we kind of have a responsibility. Like if we re- release a valuation tool, people might start, our hope is to kind of, you know, it becomes like the gospel of, you know, valuations, like the YC safe when you're raising, you know, a seed round or something like that. Like that document, I asked uh, our attorney that we just hired in house, like if you make an edit to that doc and you send it out, people are like, what? It's just people just use that document. And I asked, is it, I was like, is it like a good document? And he's like, not really. I like, it's good, but it, it, it could be better positions as well, streamlining that whole process. So that's Ricky. That's how it, um, that's probably the first area we'll attack the legal process. But my point being is, um, yeah, with all the data that we have on acquisitions, I think we can really help a lot of entrepreneurs, not, not help themselves, but also just motivate them. Like, you know, every day you log in, you got five new customers and you see like the worth of your company go up. Um, I think that could be really cool. Um, Cause one of my angel investors at business apps would always tell me when, let's say we're at like 5 million revenue. And I'm like, like I've been in this for like five years, not really making a lot of money yet. He's like, dude, like you're already a millionaire. You have this valuable asset. Do you understand that? You Like we can go and sell it right now if you want. Um, but I think you can push a little bit farther. Um, but just understand, like, it's just not in your bank account. Just like he, he would always expand. It's like you have a home. You have this asset that you can sell. Like, you don't have a lot of investors. And I don't care when you sell because he came in at a, a very low valuation. Um, he came in at like a 500K valuation. So he did very good. But like, just knowing like you have a multi-million dollar asset can be super motivating. Like, I'm going to push harder this month because I want to go from a $1.2 million valuation up to a $2 million valuation. Not Now you got to find a buyer and, you know, there's a ton of things to, you can't just like redeem SaaS company and then you get your money. It doesn't work like that. It's not that easy. I can't wait for the market sell market buy button on microquire. Just where you buy and then. No, I'm teasing. But one of my favorite things about you, Andrew is that like you're empowering entrepreneurs, like you're giving people more confidence to be like, you know, so like be able to handle all the entire process themselves, telling people they don't need VC money, which is absolutely true. Like you could bootstrap all the way. Yeah, and I, I'm a huge fan of a, a lot of your ideas. I, I'm looking forward to um, 
closing this deal in a week. The deal that it went offline off of microacquire, but like still thankful, thankful for the deal because after it closes, I feel like it's going to go good and I'm going to sell the startup back on microacquire like two years from now. Nice. I, I, I'm looking forward to it, man. And uh, just because of your platform, what has happened is that a lot of digital nomads are also trying to trade uh, their uh, micro SaaS companies as well, like two, three member lean teams working on a smaller MRR and they're thinking, is there a possibility they can just trade companies on micro acquire? I mean, buy, sell, buy, sell. So yeah, that's a new trend coming up. Yeah. It's almost like a new form of entrepreneurship, which again, that goes back to like, you know, why am I you know, what gets me excited and it's, it's stuff like that. Like what you just said, Ricky, that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited for you to close your acquisition. I'm excited for the seller. I don't, I have no idea what business you're talking about. You know, like we're, we're able to help entrepreneurs like at that scale where I don't know what acquisition you're talking about. And there's hundreds of acquisitions like that going on right now. And we're, you know, we just built a, a platform that allows people to, if you want to buy Microsoft, you want to buy, you know, a SaaS business doing 500,000 or 5 million, you know, those businesses are being sold by individuals that want to move on to something else. And so it's a win-win on both sides. Absolutely. And um, uh, Andrew, uh, do you have any favorite books that you would recommend to our listeners as well? I mean, one of the book that you rightly said about it was Jason's, right? From Basecamp. But apart from that, any other favorite books or novels that you would recommend or something that you have been reading off late as well? Play Bigger. This is a great book on um, branding and um, just the power of brand and category creation. This is probably one of my favorite books right now. Tuned In. This is about like how to really listen to customers. It, it just basically has a framework around, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of startup ideas. I'm a fan of people that go out and talk to customers and derive, you know, solutions to their problems. And that's what this book is, is all about. And then this is a, a classic from impossible to inevitable with Aaron Ross and Jason Lumpkin. And my name's actually on the back too, which is kind of cool. That's super cool. Yeah. You got, you got, you got to get the new version uh, of it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think maybe who knows, I think you will be a published um, uh, author as well. You have been writing a lot of, um, you know, uh, op-eds and various platforms. So tomorrow, maybe I wrote a book. Oh, you wrote a book. Yeah, it's done. It'll be out in December. Um, I finished it in like January. It's just my my candid story about um, business apps. It's not a book of like, hey, here's how to do everything right. It's more just like, hey, I started a company when I was 21. It was really weird. Um, I was managing a bunch of people by the time I was 25. And all my friends were getting excited about being promoted to account executives. And I knew it was weird because I had no experience. We didn't raise any venture capital. We were profit, wildly profitable in the business. And so I kept a journal um, where I just update it every month with like four, five bullet points. Like, how are things going? Things I'm worried about, things I'm excited about. Um, where do I think I'm going to be in 30 days? And I just took that and just kind of painted everything from getting the idea to meeting my initial angel investors. And we only raised like 100K. So that part is just like, like what is, well, what is, what is it like to meet an investor at age 21? And like, you're kind of negotiating with this multimillionaire. And so I just kind of tell, it's more of a story, not. No, that's super cool. Does it have a name as well, Andrew, or you're still finalizing on the. Uh, uh, getting acquired. Oh, getting acquired is the name, is it? Yep. Oh, awesome. So it's, it's a story of me growing business apps um, from zero to about 10 million in recurring revenue on a hundred thousand capital and then selling it uh, to a private equity firm. So I would say everyone needs to buy this book. Like 
definitely. Oh well, no, it, it's it, it's gonna be free, so you don't have to buy it. I just wrote it. I wrote it for my son, so I can when he gets older, I can be like, "Hey, I was I was cool. I was cool. I'm a cool dad." You know, and that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Like getting acquired. So to all our listeners, please uh, read "Getting Acquired" whenever it will be there in multiple platforms for sure. And uh, awesome to have you on our show, Andrew. Absolutely love these conversations, especially a bit of candid banter here and there. Love those uh, nuggets of valuable information that you shared for our listeners and hope to uh, be in touch with you. I think I know for sure that you're hosting a lot of, how do you say, events during the Saster times as well, like many founders coming in, you know, hanging out with you as well. So who knows tomorrow, either Ricky or me will be there somewhere around your zone. Just come by and say hello to you. Yeah, if you're ever you know flying into San Francisco, hit me up. Um, I'm kind of like the Uber guy. I always say if you because I live five minutes from the airport, so I say, and it's such an easy way to like catch up with everybody, and you're doing friends' favors. So if you guys ever fly in SFO, let me know. I'll come pick you up and take you. That's awesome. I'll take you as far as San Francisco. I I don't go to Oakland. That's awesome. And and in two years, when I do list my startup back on Microquire, I will buy you a dinner, Andrew. Please do. And I'm I'm a very uh, simple guy. So we're headed to Chipotle or probably Panda Express or something. Like that. That's awesome. I love Chipotle. I eat there way too much. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Yeah.